Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith in the New York City metropolitan area. Let's jump right in. We have a friend of the show coming back today, Teresa Tamio. She's written a new book. Everything's coming up rosy. I'm dying to hear about this. Now, this is out from Sophia Press. Uh, Teresa, where else can our audience buy the book? Uh, we always encourage, of course, everybody buy the book from the publisher and let's support our Catholic right. publishers. But just in case anybody's on one of those others, uh, where <laughs> who are some of the others that- well, it's, uh, it's out there everywhere. It's on Amazon. It's also on the Ave Maria bookstore. Ave Maria Radio, that EWT has it on the religious catalog uh you know i've got it on my website so any of those would work i do think if you go to the sophia website and you can get there directly through teresatomio.com slash rosybook you get a discount so i would go teresatomio.com slash rosybook and there's a little discount there for you so i never met a sale i didn't like so i just thought i'd throw it out so. I, I listen it sounds like my wife she buys things all, all the time she said why'd you buy that it was on sale it was on sale <laughs> it was on sale <laughs> She said, why are you asking? Um, yes. Now, everybody out there knows Teresa. However, uh, for those of you who might not, uh, Teresa Tamio is an author, syndicated Catholic talk show host, motivational speaker from with more than 30 years of experience in TV, radio, newspaper. Her weekday morning radio program, Catholic Connection, is co-produced by Ave Maria Radio in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Uh, it is heard in over 500, on over 500 Catholic radio stations worldwide and on Sirius Satellite Network. Teresa appears frequently on EW10 Global Catholic Television Network and co-hosts the EW10 television series, The Catholic View for Women. She's also a correspondent for EWTN News In-Depth. As a deacon's wife, Teresa also writes a column for our Sunday visitors, The Deacon Magazine. In 2019, she opened her own Italy travel consultation company. We love it. Tease Italy. Uh, TravelItalyExpert.com. Teresa's written more than 10 books, is an international speaker where she addresses media awareness and activism, as well as sharing her reversion to the Catholic Church. She resides in southeastern Michigan with her husband, Deacon Dominic Pastore. Welcome back, Dominic. Teresa. Thank you for pronouncing the name correctly. That sounds oh, great. Come on. Great to be yeah. with you guys. I know a lot of people say, yeah, well, it's Pastore. No, it's Pastore. No, Pastore. You got to roll That's the right. R. Pastore. Yes. Teresa, welcome back, our sister. Thanks for coming on. Well, it's always great to talk to my paisans and always great to talk to my friends on the East Coast because this book, Everything's Coming Up Rosy, all of our East Coast friends will be able to relate relate to this. Ten things my feisty Italian-American mom taught me about living a godly life. And what you'll really appreciate is I put in words phonetically the way they're pronounced on the East Coast. So people who don't who aren't from that area as we are, because I'm originally, as you know, from Jersey City, will understand what my mother would try to say. Like, for example, the Blessed Mother is watching you, M-U-T-H-A, offer it up to God, offer, A-W-F-A. You know, so that, that accent, I think, made it so much more appealing 
to hear it because she would say it with such you know Italian gusto right right, right from her heart. Oh, no, I love it. I love we love it. Um, and one of the things I, I'm looking forward to in this conversation is that, you know, sometimes, you know, w- when we're getting into more in-depth conversations about the faith and everything else, we can get into a little bit of the weeds and all of that. It's important. But then a lot of people ask, well, how do I live out my Catholic life? All right. And that's why we're going to love talking about Rosie, because that's what you wrote the book about is this is a right. normal Catholic life. It's not just something out there in the ether. This is the way to do it on a daily basis. So we're looking forward to it. Let me hand it over to Joe. We'll start with a prayer and uh, and then we'll jump right in. Uh, name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly into you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand sinful and sorrowful. Well, Mother, the word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency, hear and answer us. Amen. Amen. No. Amen. Well, I must say, <clears throat> I am very versed in Jersey City. I went to graduate school in Jersey City. <laughs> I went to Jersey City State. I went to St. Peter's College as well. There you go. Um, I like to call them both uh, Harvard on the Hudson. I know it very well. And recently, I was in a shopping mall, and I saw this shirt, and I have to share it with you because it's so good. Because I live near Jersey City now. I'm probably only like five minutes away. It says Jersey City versus everyone. That was oh, the I shirt. Want one of those. Will you get me one? I, I'll be one. honest. I a woman was wearing it pushing a stroller. I swear I didn't go up to her, but I was like, that shirt is so good. But it's yeah. so true. Jersey City people, they're very proud. I know many of them. Um, they're very strong people. And they're very resilient. And your mom was from Jersey City. You were born there as well. Tell us a mm-hmm. little bit about your mom. Well, as you mentioned, uh, she was born in Jersey City, uh, Italian immigrant family. Uh, my grandparents came over in the early 1900s. My mother's mother was from uh, southern Italy in Basilicata, which is pretty close to Calabria. And then her father was from Campania. So the family is from the south. But they met and married here, my grandparents, uh, in, in Jersey City in the United States. And they uh, had 10 children. And my mom was number, let's see, one, two, three, four out of 10 and grew up in a very strong and loving Italian-American Catholic family, very much traditional with with the Italian, uh, you know, the whole imagery and the beautiful traditions that we have in our Italian-American culture and and very strong family of faith. And uh, my mom was just this very resilient woman. And what's really neat about writing the book, guys, is when I was going through some of the stories that I share I was kind of walking in her shoes because, you know, you look at your parents sometimes and you wonder, you say, well, why did they do this or why did they do that? Or what was what was behind this? And being able to kind of like relive the stories I heard growing up from my aunts and uncles and grandparents and also being able to, again, walk through certain things that happened to us, some things that affected me as a child, including when our Jersey City apartment blew up, literally exploded, and that forced us to move to Michigan, and wondering what that must have been like, looking at it through my mother's eyes and my father's eyes, where they were homeless for a good five or six months before we relocated to Michigan. It was really quite something, and I realized just how strong my mom really was. Uh, She died three years ago on the Feast of St. Joseph, March 19, 2020, but a very strong woman who never lost her sense of joy, even after my father died in 2010, my older sister died in 2016 of cancer. My mom still kept her joy. And one of the chapters at the end of the book is entitled Keep Smiling because she would sign every card with those words, keep smiling, whether it was an anniversary card, Christmas card, Easter card, birthday card, keep smiling, which is a very, I think, Christian approach, a Catholic approach and never lose our joy. And I guess that's the thing is people don't understand how we, you know, from our Catholic 
worldview that yeah in the light we don't we don't have the pardon the pun the rosy picture of life you know we 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 understand the hardships of life we understand the fall of man sin all of it tragedy you, you mentioned your older sister passing away and things like that and yeah we 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 have a different worldview than everybody else and that's what we want to get into today because it's strange to people how do you keep smiling when you're when you're Older sister passes away, or like in your mom's case, when your pop passed away. How do you keep doing that? And but we try to tell people because there's hope, and there's a joy that comes from that hope. That's what it means to be Catholic. That there is something else, and and you don't have to again. You don't have to read all sorts of theology textbooks to to get that. Talk about that a little right. bit, Teresa. Well, I think too. I, I think certain cultures are very strong. Like many of the immigrants that came over uh, in the last, you know, 100 years or so, or maybe even before, whether they were Irish American, whether they were uh, Italian American, uh, Polish American, and even our brothers and sisters who struggled so much in the South, African Americans who were brought here uh, against their will in most cases. Uh, when you go through things like that, it just it really I think makes you stronger. It's a Romans 8:28 situation. All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose, because you, you can either give in to the circumstances and become very despondent or, yeah, we're going to suffer. And yeah, it's going to be a heartbreak. But then you can pull back and look at the big picture and look at the rest of your life, as you said not just here on this earth, but if you're a Christian, you know that there is there's another life. And that doesn't mean that we live in La La Land and we ignore all the bad stuff that happens and we don't deal with grief, but we understand that it's all part of a process. This is not our home. This is not heaven. We are on a pilgrimage here on earth. And so this is all part of the journey because we live in a fallen world based on obviously original sin. But I think people of faith and people who came from a strong cultural background, and I'm talking specifically about Italians because that's my, my personal experience. But I have many friends who, uh, same type of Brit, Polish Americans, very strong, Irish Americans, very strong. Uh, so I, I think there's that certain grit when you are forced into situations and you have to work through them, you have to push through. And we don't see that in our world anymore. I mean, I'm still fascinated. You guys heard me talking about this on, on Catholic Connection. I'm fascinated by this report that came out from the Surgeon General a couple of weeks ago, where he's talking about this epidemic of loneliness, right? And he's telling us basic things and this is just so basic i mean for for, for us for growing up in, in a family atmosphere where you have some people down you know you feed them a salami sandwich you make sure they're well fed give them a glass of wine this, you know you call people back on the phone you say hello you talk to them you know, directly one-on-one -on -one. he says in order to help solve this crisis this epidemic of loneliness here are a few suggestions these this will really help and I almost fell out of my chair. Now, I'm glad he's doing this. I'm not mocking him. I think he did an excellent job of this report, and it's super important. But I'm just thinking what my mom actually wrote an article for the National Catholic Register about this, what my mom would say. For crying out loud, you need a house to fall on you? What are you kidding me? So he says, call your friend back when they leave you a message. Respond to your friend's call or pick up the phone when they call. Invite someone over to dinner. Uh, do something to support someone other than yourself. Get involved in the community. We need to be told that by the Surgeon General. We can't figure it out enough on our own. And I think when you grow up in a family that has a strong bond, whatever nationality or ethnic background, you get that. But the problem is family is so broken right now. People are so isolated that we need to be reminded of being that really is if you think about it, what he said, it's Christianity 101 to show up and be there for people. He even said, when you're in the room with someone, don't be on your phone. Don't be watching the TV. Don't be texting. Be present to someone. This is how bad we've gotten in our society where we have to be told this 
by the top medical official of the United States, the Surgeon General. Tell me about it. Teresa Tamio here is uh, joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. We're discussing her new book, Everything's Coming Up, Rosie, that's out from Sophia Press. I want to, one quick comment, Teresa, and I want to hand it over to Joe. C.S. Lewis said, you know, if you're on the wrong path, all right, if two people are on the, I'm paraphrasing, uh, if two people are on the wrong path, uh, the one who stops, turns around, and goes back to the beginning is the more progressive one. In other words, mm -hmm. and I think that's really what I'm I'm taking away from your book is I think you'll look using your mom, of course, as an example. Let's go back to the beginning. Let's right. go back. Let's get back to some ABCs. That's all this is about. This is what you were just describing. That's what your book is about. Let's get back to some ABCs here. Right? Don't keep going right. down the wrong path. How's that right. working out for you? Joe Resinello says all the time, go look out the window and you'll see yeah. how that's working out for you. Joe, where do you want to go? I just want to talk about common sense isn't so common anymore and piggyback off of what Teresa was saying, because I, I think that is so true. Um, I grew up in, you know, my father was a barber. Uh, my, you know, didn't have money to go to college. And he had a half scholarship to go to college to play basketball. Mm -hmm. Still couldn't go. So, I mean, like, I grew up in a family where that was taught. And that's the point I'm, I want to, I kind of harp on here. There's certain things you're never going to learn in books. And I think that's where things got lost. Like when you grow up, like your mother talks about 10 kids, that's, a, that's an education. Right. You learn to share. You learn to cope. You learn what no means. You learn how to deal with people. That's, you're not going to learn that at Yale. And I have found people like that. You get a person like that who's smart, get out of their way. They're going to steamroll you in life because those are types of people that run companies like like in plain english because they have it they have both things and sometimes i think what we do as a society is people make it and then they take their kids out of that environment and that's the gift of having children when you have children you create that environment and you can't give them everything but right. it, it talk about that because i think that's an education that is lost and we're seeing the consequences of it well, it, it, it's it's actually my book. I mean, you just gave my book in like you know five minutes or less because my mom she used to always tell us uh, if you're bored and that's a chapter, go ride your bike. You have no right to be bored. You know, I grew up with with nine brothers and sisters. We didn't have bikes. If we had a bike, we had it maybe for a day or two, and it was one bike. We didn't have all the toys. You got a whole. You know, not that we were rich, we were a middle class family, but I didn't I didn't go out for anything. I had a nice bike every few years. I had nice toys, Barbie dolls, everything. But like any other kid, you'd complain and say you were bored. That was like, you know, nails on a chalkboard to my mother, because again, she grew up in a poor family where they shared everything and she was trying to give us a better life. But at the same time, she's like, don't you realize how blessed you are? Go ride your bike. I don't want to hear about it. But one time, this, and this is another chapter in the book, in addition to go ride your bike, and this is an absolutely true story. I was complaining yet again that we didn't have a pool. All of my neighbors, all the friends have pools. I don't have a pool. My mother finally said to me, you're not getting the pool. You want a pool? Go fill up a garbage can. In other I words, <laughs> make the most of what you have. And so I thought, oh, Eureka, what a great idea. And so I did. I went and filled up a garbage can. But the point of the story is not that I went and filled up a garbage can, but my mother was trying to tell us, you are not going to get everything you want in this world. And I am not going to spend the money. Your father and I are not going to have the money for a pool. We're not going to have the money for maintenance. Sorry, go play in the backyard with the sprinkler or go to the public pool or go fill up a garbage can. And I think so many parents are so concerned about not being able to give their children everything. 
when they give them every single thing they want, they don't know how to deal with disappointment. And I remember years ago hearing a lecture where someone said the people who are the most successful are not necessarily the ones who always get straight A's, who always win the awards. And I'm not mocking education and studying hard and getting good grades, but it's the, it's the people who have had maybe a B on their report card or a C minus and haven't had straight A's and haven't had it so easy where they get all the scholarships where they really had to, to plow through because they can handle challenges and they can handle ups and downs. They can handle disappointment. So many people cannot handle that. I mean, you look at what happened at Cornell recently. This was back in April where the students came forward and they all signed this pledge and they said, we want trigger warnings on class content if we're going to be hearing something that might upset us. And so they gave a list of all these different issues. And they said, and in addition to wanting trigger warnings placed on content material in the classroom, we want permission to get up and walk out and not have any consequences. So in other words, if they're missing an assignment because they were like, la, 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 can't handle it, don't want it, you know, whatever they won't have any repercussions on their grades. I could just hear my mother. Are you kidding me? Sit down, shut up and do your work. Listen to the other person talking right now. Where are we in our society? If you're at a university, a top university like Cornell, and you can't handle discussions or debates, but that's where we're at in our society. Now, thanks be to God, Cornell said, no, we're not doing that. That's just opposite of what we're trying to do in higher education. But you see this over and over and over again where people don't want to be challenged. That's what the cancel culture is about. I don't agree with you. I'm going to shut you down. And I can't hear from you. I can't talk to you because they don't know how to have a conversation and debate. Well, the, the problem is, too, is like my father always said, I remember growing up, he says, show me a kid and I'll show you his parents. Yeah. And, 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 and yeah, yeah, I'm, this is going to sound judgmental because it is. You parents out there, all right, you need to start telling your kids no. The worst thing I ever heard, Teresa Tamio joining us to the front line with Joe and Joe, the worst thing I ever heard, I, I remember intuitively, I thought it was a dumb thing that I used to hear, was when I get when I have kids, I want to give them everything that I didn't have. And mm -hmm. wrong, yeah. wrong. I love my old man. My old man told me no. I got to tell you, I'm not even exaggerating. I want to say nine out of ten times. Bikes, like for a bike. You know, like, I remember we had the Atari, the first Atari video game. We had the bag tooth and nail. We finally got one on Christmas, like, like two years after we had asked for it. Uh, by the way, just this is a funny aside. I love uh, Sebastian Maniscalco's joke along the same lines when he says, hey, I went to my father. He says, I want a dog. He says, you want a dog? Your neighbor down the street, he's got a dog. Go play with the dog. Then come back. <laughs> uh, so we're talking about Rosie. Mother, you want a pool? Go fill up a garbage can. That's it. <laughs> and, and you want to know what? But there again, we're taught we started talking about common sense. We're talking about Rosie. Everything's coming up, Rosie. That's Teresa's mom. A little common sense, not even a lot nowadays, just a little yeah. common sense is what we need. But there are Rosie isms. Okay. Now I can't wait for <laughs> wait for a couple of these. So you got some Rosieisms, uh, unforgettable, I guess, statements. Um, and but they're designed to help us, you know, and our loved ones live a, a grounded life. So talk about yeah. a couple of those, Teresa. Well, first and, and most importantly is chapter one, and that's, as I mentioned earlier, offer or offer it up to God and put at the foot of the cross, the cross, right? And I spell it out, C-R-A-W-S-E. And for all those listening or watching right now, this is not meant to be uh, mocking the accent on the East Coast. I mean, you guys know me, you know how much I love my roots in Jersey. This actually is upholding that beautiful uh, culture. If you have an accent, whether you're from the East Coast, the, the Northwest, the Midwest, whether you're from Minnesota, Minnesota has a very strong Midwestern accent, you know, the South, I love Love the, the southern accent that's part of who, who you are and it's beautiful and it's lovely and this is my way of lifting up 
what I heard growing up. And when my mom would say it with her accent, it just, just had that extra little, I think, punch. So that's why I include this and phonetically spell it out in the book. So the first Rosyism, as I said, is offered up to God and put at the foot of the cross. Number two is remember the blessed mother is watching you. Number three is listen to your mother. M-U-T-H-A, I spell it out there. Number four, and this goes to what we were just talking about, you know, it's not all peaches and cream. It's going to be tough some days. It's not all peaches and cream. That's chapter four. Five, go ride your bike. Six, you want a pool? Go fill up a garbage can. Number seven, be nice. Be nice. Number eight, say God spares or God spare us, which is very biblical, by the way. And number nine, never get too big for those britches, she used to tell me. And last but not least, number 10, keep smiling. Now, there are many other rosyisms, but these, I think, are the key ones when I look back at my life that I would hear in my head over and over again that really helped me stay when I, you know, I, I left the faith for a long time. Planting seeds of parents out there, you know, even if you're doing your best, your kids could leave. My parents worked really hard to get us a Catholic education. I fell away for many years, but she planted the seeds, both my parents, but especially my mom, with these, these rosyisms and... I realize now how very deeply, even though she didn't have a theology degree, how deeply theological they were in terms of her understanding of what it means to have faith in a relationship with God. I want to throw it over to Joe, but I want to make one comment. I, I along with you, uh, I spent a good part of my adult life not practicing the faith. Okay. I never officially left the church, did a lot of right. questioning. I know this like I know my old name. If I was not an altar boy, if I, I went to public grammar school, if my mother didn't say you got to go to catechism once a week on Wednesdays, we used to go after school. If I didn't go to Seton Hall prep, if I didn't get that, I don't think I would have come back, reflecting back yeah. on my life. I had at least food. a grounding. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you Jesus was always calling. You yeah. know, even in my, my darkest sin, Jesus was always calling. If I didn't do those, if my mother in particular, okay, didn't do those things, all right? And my father sacrificed to send me to sit, and my brother's eating all prep. I don't know that, I don't know if I would have come back to the faith. Right. But but that, that grounding was there and it was so important. Joe Racinello. As you were talking about Rosyisms, I was thinking of uh, my friend Sal Lasoro when I was a kid. His father was from Sicily. His mother was a bombastic woman from New Jersey. I remember being <laughs> in his house and the his mom is screaming, Sal, the table Gina Sal screaming like a lunatic to this day. When I see Phyllis Lasoro, that's what I think <laughs> to this day. But talking about Rosieisms, Benedict Rochelle was from Jersey City. I remember he I had a shirt him. of all the sayings. It's a unique place yeah. to this day. Jersey City is a unique place. Um, yeah. Did you know Father Benedict? I'm sure you did with the Yes, I did. As a matter of fact, when uh, when I started working at EW10, I would, I would often cover him, have him on the radio program. I even got to interview him several times at the March for Life. I'll never forget. And I, he, his accent was exactly like my mom's. It was the identical Jersey accent because there's a there's a Brooklyn accent. You guys know this. There's a Jersey accent, so it's got a little bit of a you know of a, of a twist to it. But we were standing there at the March for Life getting ready to go on. I was going to interview him. And that was shortly after uh, the movie The Passion of the Christ came out. If you remember, he had a, was in a very bad car accident at that time, if you guys remember. And he was in a wheelchair. And I went over to him. I said, how you doing, Father? He said, Teresa, I'm falling apart. But I'm okay, huh? Let's do the interview. But I'm falling apart. <laughs> 
no, the poor thing was his heart. He was in a wheelchair and, and had suffered so much in that accident. But but I loved him. I just thought he was very, very real. Oh, and yes. he also had he had that Jersey edge, that Jersey City edge, where this no nonsense, just put it out there. This is what it is in a loving way, but also in a very, I would say, strong but loving way, which is exactly what my whole my you know, mother's family was. Teresa Tamio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. Everything's coming up, Rosie. That's available at Sophia Press, Amazon, EW10.com. Teresa, one more time, where can people get a little discount on the book? Oh, go to my website, TeresaTamio.com. That's Teresa, as in Teresa of Avila, T-E-R-E-S-A-T-O-M-E-O.com slash Rosie book. That's it, TeresaTamio.com slash Rosie book. All right. Um, I want to start a topic that we might we might have to go through the break and then we'll come back to it. But I think it's important. Um, th they're amongst the children of parents uh, of your, your mom's age, of Rosie's age. OK, let's say a little older than me and Joe. OK, um, they got they went to school. You know, the parents sacrificed. They went to school. They got educated. Right. And then all of a sudden, mom's ways became just something I don't know. She, we love her. She's great. She's wonderful. But she thinks in that Catholic way, that old way. We have a new, we have a new way of thinking. And I'm going to say right. it one more time. Joe Resinello says all the time, go look out the window and see how that's working. Okay. Yeah, how's that working um, for you? Yeah. All right. How's that working out? Um, there's not a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of Rosies out there, but I'm talking about specifically in the educated class. Okay. Um, I'm, not, I'm not seeing a lot of Rosies. I'm seeing a lot of nonsense. Um, where where people have gone off, uh, let's say, uh, intellectually into a far place like the prodigal son, okay? And they're staying there. They don't want to know about the, the Rosies of the world or the Philomenas of the world or the Josephines of the world who lived the life that you're describing, that your mother lived, okay? Talk about mm -hmm. that a little bit because, to me, you're not smart just because you have a degree on your wall. You're smart when you recognize, you're intelligent when you recognize the truth of things. And it sounds to me like Rosie is one of those people that recognize the truth of things, and we've lost that Teresa, yeah. I think, which is why I wrote the book. We have lost it, and, and you know, I, I was—I've been giving this talk. That I, I based the book on a talk by a similar title. The subtitle is 10 Things I've Learned." My um, ten things my feisty Italian American mom taught me about living a godly life, and so I've been doing a talk, 10 Things I've Learned about Living a Godly Life," with the same chapter topics and whatnot. So I just took that talk and I, you know, expanded on it. But you're right; people are not living like this, and I think they're scared because I know. And I always think of where I was when I fell away from the faith for 20, 25 years. And I, when I started slowly coming back to the church, even after I returned, I, I really only started to tip my toes into the water. Yes, I have gone to confession. My husband and I healed our marriage. But I still thought that I could do what I wanted to do, stay in the secular media and do my thing. Because God, now that I came back to the church and I healed my marriage, certainly God would give me everything I wanted. I wasn't fully vested and I didn't really say that full yes and I really didn't want to hear it I couldn't imagine not being on camera in the secular media not being on channel seven or where, wherever I was working at the time because I thought that's what I was meant to do and so therefore God would just bless me with this amazing you know career in secular media and keep me there and I convert the whole newsroom and all this stuff I had my own little plan and I didn't want to hear you know, nothing from no one especially from him that he had other things in mind but until I really even after I came back after after I had went through that whole detox of all that nonsense and living as you described, like many of those people still are today. It took me a while to really say, "Okay, Uncle, I give, I give you everything. And, you, know, you saved my marriage. More importantly, you saved my soul. I'm, I'm done. If you want me to walk away, I'm done. I had 20 good years on the air, whatever. And until I did that, then God said, "Okay, now we can work. Now we've got some work to do." And but slowly, He brought me to the point 
where I am today. But getting back to what you said, I think a lot of it is fear. Uh, you know, uh, fear, I think I always use the word fear as an acronym, false evidence appearing as real. Well, we see God as this big over in the sky who wants to squash our fun. And so we think, well, the church says this about marriage. The church says this about sexuality. The church says this about abortion. And they see it as limiting. And as someone telling us what to do, they see it as a no as opposed to a yes. And yet, if they just look around, as you said earlier, looking out the window, how's it working for you? If we look at what's happening and we see the result, look at this epidemic of loneliness. We're told that we can do anything we want. We can jump from relationship to relationship. We can you know, use pornography, do whatever. If this is the case, if we're so happy, if everything in the world is working, how the heck are we so lonely when we're more connected than ever before? And there was another report that just came Teresa, out. And I, did this I want you to come back to that point. Let's okay. take a quick break. Teresa Tamio is joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial. Make sure you download the app, share it with your friends, wherever you see Joe and I on social media. Please help us out. Click a button, like, subscribe, share, follow us on Twitter, all that fun stuff. Everything's coming up rosy. That's Teresa Tamio's new book, available at Sophia Press and other places. Stick around. Another great segment with Teresa Tamio. We'll be right back. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. We are way in the breach with Teresa Tamio. We're discussing her new book, Everything's Coming Up Rosie, that's available at Sophia Press. Uh, Teresa, at the end of the segment, we were talking about the epidemic of loneliness. Please continue right. with that. Yeah, it was, I was picking up on the excellent question you asked about you know, people in the world today who are educated, the, the people who are, I guess, who are my age, because I'm a little bit older than you guys, baby boomers. So the children of, of um, the greatest generation, which I talk about in the book, my mom was part of that, the ones who lived through World War II and the Great Depression and, and were able to deal with, with suffering and struggling and come out of it you know, better people. Again, I think it has to do with fear, those people my age, and, and I think even a little bit younger, your age, who see the church and see God maybe as an ogre in the sky trying to Wash our fun. But if you look at this epidemic of loneliness, if you look at the report that just came out earlier, uh, just last week, depression rates skyrocketing higher than they've been in years. So how is it that we're doing all these things that we say we want to do? We have exposure to everything, everything at our fingertips, and yet we're more depressed and more lonely than ever before. Depressed to the point where it's higher than it's ever been, and lonely in terms of the struggles people are facing to the point where the Surgeon General had to issue an advisory. Now, people say, oh, an advisory, okay, fine. That's real serious. When the Surgeon General comes out with something that major as an advisory, he actually said this to the media. I was watching all these different interviews he did. And it's interesting to watch the media's reaction. They're shocked, I tell you, shocked that there's gambling in this establishment. Hmm. They're so, they just drive me nuts. I used to be a part of it, so I, I understand it a little bit, but it's just so bad in the secondary media. But he was telling them, look, this is this loneliness. This is as serious as heart disease. This is as serious as diabetes. This is as serious as somebody who smokes, you know, 15, 16, 17 cigarettes a day. Loneliness is serious in terms of not only obviously our souls and our hearts and everything else, but our physical condition. And so this generation just keeps on, it's like, who was it? Einstein who said, you keep doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. That's, you know, craziness, that's insanity. But that's what we do. Every year, there's a report that comes out about sexually transmitted infections from the CDC. 
epidemic keeps getting worse, blah, blah, blah. And you know what they say? We need more birth control. <laughs> well, how, how is that working for us? So again, I think it's not wanting to change. And I'm speaking from my own personal experience because I was there, so I get it. But at some point you have to say, you have to look at yourself and say, admit that you're miserable. And that's the problem because when you admit it, that means you have to change. And I think that's why we see, for example, in a lot of these um, liberal orders, for example, religious orders that are dying out, as opposed to changing and looking back and saying, you know what, guys, gals, whether it's a, you know, a, a group of sisters or a group of order of priests, we went down the wrong path. This is why we're dying out. Maybe we need to revisit that. No, they keep going and going and going because they refuse to give in and let God be God. So that's what I think it is. I think it's fear. You know, again, the devil that we know is a better is is better than the devil we don't know. Yeah, Joe Rasinello. I always say it's <clears throat> it's example, it's example, it's example. I mean, your mother had her mother. Um, you had your mother. She gave an example, and even if in the case of Joe uh, Pasillo and even myself. Um, you stray in the rear view mirror, you understood something. I can right. remember at 16 saying to myself, my parents are so boring. <laughs> I used to say that they're so boring. They go to bed at nine o'clock. My parents were married 52 years. They got yeah. it. Period. End of story. Like figured it out and lived it, lived the life. The generation now doesn't have the rear view mirror. And that's the scary thing because that's what pulls you back in when you right. go off the deep end. But yep. that's what's going to change the world. And what do I mean by that? I'm going to go to Benedict the 16th. I believe the Catholic Church, and these are his words, but I buy into him because I think he's going to become a doctor of the church and a saint. Um, it's going to get smaller. I do believe that you're going to have to fight for your faith very soon. It's not going to be something that you could just casually be. It's going to cost you something. But when that happens, the church is going to get brighter. Saints are going to rise up and people will see the light on the hill and they will say, why can't I have that life? And that's how we change the culture. That's how right. we change America. Talk about that, because that is the hope. Well, it, exactly. But it has to start with the basics. And you have to go back. And the reason I started the book with offered up to God and put it at the foot of the cross, because without that ultimate surrender, none of what you just said is possible. God has to be first in our life. Jesus has to be Lord of our lives. Whenever I sign my, my cards for my husband, and we just celebrated the 40, let's see, 42nd or 43rd anniversary of our first date. But uh, believe it or not, we're married coming up this September 40 years. I always sign my cards next to Jesus. You're the best thing that ever happened to me because God is supposed to be number one. And he always teases me, oh, I guess I'm, you know, second fiddle. I'm like, well, yeah, to God, hello, right? But if we don't have that surrender, that ultimate surrender, that big yes, but also every day, what my mom was trying to tell us with that offer it up to God and put it at the foot of the cross, is it's not only when we're going through a hard time. Yes, it's redemptive suffering, and I get into that a lot in the first chapter, but it's also recognizing who is God and who is not. God is God and we are not. St. Teresa of Avila, my patron, always said in a poem, I am yours, I was made for you. What do you want me to do? And we have to say that every single day. So unless we first make that commitment and then recommit our lives every single day, 
we're not going to be able to change a culture because we're not changing ourselves. We have to start with ourselves. You know, there's this um, uh, evangelical uh, person. She's a, a preacher and whatnot. I, I, I used to listen to her a while. I've listened to her in a while, but I've heard her once and she was very good. She said, um, I think she was really kind of Catholic on the inside, even though she never converted, at least not yet. But she used to say that she would talk with men and women who wanted to go out and change the world. They wanted to go off the missions, do this, do that. But they wouldn't even take care of issues in their own home. They wouldn't take care of the kids. They wouldn't do the dishes. They wouldn't do, help the kids with the homework. So I think we have to start with the basics and work on ourselves before we can go out and change the world. But by doing those basic things that my mom taught us, you are being a light. You are being an example. Because everywhere I go, even before I wrote this book, when my mom died and when my father died, there was a real loss in our parish because there were such bright lights. And even when I go to uh, the dentist, we had the same dentist, the same doctors, right? Because we lived in the same neighborhood. They would talk about how much they loved my parents, especially my mom. She was always smiling. She was so kind. She was really funny. Uh, she was at church every week. They sat, her and her best friend sat after their husbands died, sat in the same row. They were always doing the Bible studies, doing the prayer groups. So they were an example, but it started with what they were doing at home. And that's where we have to begin. Absolutely. Teresa Tamio, let me ask you this. The church is the pillar and bulwark of the truth. We know that, okay? Um, we have the catechism. We have scripture. We have the saints. Now, you use this in the book. Everything's coming up rosy. You use right. uh, material from, from all of that, all that, the, the, those resources, and you weave them into the book. Talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Well, because again, I mean, the church, it's so incredible. I, I, it's whenever I go to Rome and I go to Italy quite a bit, uh, I, I just love it so much. I always want to, I run up to the pillars of the church. When you, when you walk into St. Peter's Square, you have those arms and that's how Bernini designed it. So you would feel like we're being surrounded and the church was welcoming you and you can look up and you can see major saints. Then when you walk in the main aisle and you see all the saints on the side and you go toward the Baldacchino and on the right, there's, you know, the Pietà and there's a, a John Paul II's tomb and then the Eucharistic chapel. And it, it's just that the church is so deep and anything we have a question about, is in there. It's like that old, you guys can remember this. Now, I'm not recommending opening spaghetti sauce from a jar. Please, God, no. Do Please not no, do that. That's a sacrilege. Sacrilege. We will, we will excommunicate you from the family and we'll cut you out of the will and then some. But my the old commercial, it's all in there, right? Remember Prego spaghetti sauce, yeah. right? And I love that line because when you look at the church, it's all in there. We have uh, the Bible, basic instructions before leaving earth. We have the tradition. We have the magisterium. We have 2,000 years of church teaching, a church that was started by God himself. And so having the church there, to me, is just everything. And so when, when people see turmoil or they don't like what the Pope said or what the bishop said or something, I'll say, okay, you can, you can disagree if you don't like the way a, a church leader is approaching something. You have to respect them as he's the vicar of Christ and these are our bishops and we have to respect the apostolic succession, but don't fret about things. I mean, pray and not that we can't be concerned, but I just interviewed Dr. Robert uh, Fastigi the other day, who's a wonderful theologi the, um, theologian at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. He's also a Mariologist, studies uh, on Mary. And he said, you know, Jesus Christ is the founder of the church. Jesus found the church on the rock St. Peter. Who's the mother of the church? Mary. You know, who's the father of the church? Well, St. Joseph, right? So we have this holy family. We're in pretty, pretty good hands. And so I always tell people when you get scared, when you get nervous, pull out the Bible, pull out the catechism and see the truth of the church. The truth is not going to change, John Paul II said. Truth does not change. It will not go away. You can't deny the truth. I just gave you several examples before the break of how things are falling apart, but we don't follow 
the basics. I mean, just, just human nature, just a natural law, whether it be with loneliness, with sexuality, with the issue of depression. When we don't follow the nature, which is obviously God, things go awry. So that's why I, I remind people what the church says, what the catechism says, because so many people never, ever pick up the catechism or you can find it for free online. It's right there. Or really see what the church has to say about something. They just assume they've heard something over the years, but there's so much wisdom and so much depth in church teaching. It's never ending. And Steve Ray, wonderful Catholic convert and apologist and friend of mine, always says he used to be like just wading ankle deep. Now he's just feels like a diver and he's way down there and getting all of this out of the church and discovering all these new things. And church is incredible. We're so blessed. It's such a gift. Absolutely. And mentioning Steve Ray, I just want to plug Steve Ray. And I've said this before. Um, if you're if you're an evangelical or you're a Protestant and you're thinking about the Catholic Church um, or even want to know, go go talk to Steve Ray. He was right. an evangelical, a Calvinist. OK, right. I've never seen anybody more on fire than that guy. OK, he never um, stops. He just keeps learning. Every time he comes on my show, he's one of my best guests because he's always finding something else out about Holy Land site or about a saint or did you know this about this particular piece of scripture he's like a little kid he's just always always excited and, and, and looking yeah. into something else and Teresa I, I always said I said if I had them if I had the, the means to do it and, and I, we wanted to have a real deal or like a real major Protestant Catholic debate in this country so we could clarify on both sides what people believe I said go get anybody you want Go get, go get John MacArthur. Go get. I'm gonna on this side, on our side. I'm gonna have Tim Staples, Steve Ray, Steve Ray <laughs> Michael Coombe. All right, you uh, and and a couple of others, uh, John Bergsma. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna put those four guys up, and I don't yeah. care who you get. You can resurrect Martin well, Luther. Well, there's if an you Italian want. <laughs> you got to get on there, John Martinoni. He just wrote a book called Blue Collar Apologetics. Yeah, he's very That's good. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, and and again, we say that with love to our Protestant brothers and sisters. But here's Absolutely. the thing: I, I I just wanted to comment on, is that one thing, uh, what came to mind when you were talking, Teresa, is that take humane vitae. Okay, the, the the all the free thinkers in the world. I'm a free thinker. I'm a free thinker. No, you're not, because if you really were a free thinker, take using humane vitae. But I'm saying it in the context of understanding what the church actually is saying. You look at that document. It's not just a ban on contraception. It's prophetic. It's right. deep. It, it 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 prophesies in that document the, the destruction of the family, the 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 alienation of husbands and wives. The mistreatment all by a simple of act. women. The mistreatment of women was one of his biggest points, and I talk about this all the time. In a book that came out, my Extreme Makeover book, I think it came out in 2012. I go through Humana Vitae and I go through Melioristic Vitatum on the Dignity Occasion of Women from John Paul II. But Humana Vitae is a very short document. And if you read that, you're right. If you read that in typical and you look at what's happening now and look at what's happening to women with this whole transgender ideology. It supposedly is all about inclusiveness and yet women are being wiped out on every level. There was an interesting story that broke last week about this ballet dancer, a man, very successful dancer, who was hired by a dress designer and is wearing dresses. And the interesting reaction on Twitter from women, fem from feminists saying, what do you mean you, you have a man wearing a dress? What's the matter with women? Why can't you use women to model women's clothing? So you, we're to the point now where women are being wiped out. Look at what's happened. Everything that women have, have achieved in terms of sports is being attacked. And if you look at it, and when I was interviewing a, another great theologian, Dr. Pia Desleni was on my show just recently, and I asked her, I said, why have we gone so far with this transgender ideology? I mean, come on, guys. It is everywhere, right? Every time you turn around, transgender this, transgender that. 
And we pray for those people with, with that dysphoria. And the Archbishop of Oklahoma City, Archbishop Coakley, put out a beautiful document about this and the churches working with these people. It's beautiful about loving these people, but showing them who they truly are, made in the image and likeness of God, male and female. But what she said, her point was, is that once you break away from the basics, and, and what did humanity to give us, right? The basics about who we are, then anything goes. And look at where we are now, right? Mm. Who would have thought years ago that we would be at this point? No, I, I, again... We, we shake our heads. You know, 10 years ago, a lot of these people that are perpetrating this um, and proposing this and promulgating this, they would be arrested. Uh, the right. book is Everything's Coming Up Rosie, and it's available at Sophia Press. I only wonder what Rosie would, would think about everything going on. Joe Racinello. I didn't know your mother, but I know her. I know people like her. Um, to be honest with you, she reminds me, just by the way you're talking, of Mother Angelica. Mother yes. Angelica was from Canton, Ohio. My grandfather was from Canton, Ohio, came and I had, you know, aunts that were from there and it was an Italian ghetto. I and right. to be honest, when I listened to her and I know she always used to say family, I actually could relate to her like right. she was in my family. I know people like her and I know people like your mother. I'll be honest with you. Why do I bring that up? Because I want to talk about tolerance. People like that and this is my experience, are some of the most loving people you could ever meet. They will right. give you the shirt off their back. They will come to you in the darkest moments of your life. They will go out of their way to help you. But they look at tolerance a little bit different. Right. I'll talk about my family. You're not living with your girlfriend. <laughs> Sorry, that's not happening. And that's going to be said very clearly. You're not doing certain things very right. clear delineation we don't have that now no. society's at a loss because of that and you're viewed differently when you talk like that we don't even have that in the church in we do but we don't it's right. guised under terms like pastoral pastoral doesn't mean i affirm you in your sin pastoral right. means i love you pastoral means i will tell you the truth in a loving and kind manner I will be your friend and I will accompany you without watering down or taking things to a point whereby you feel you can continue on. I'm going to be your friend, but I'm not going to tell you what you're doing is okay because it's not. Right. Rosie understood that. Mother Angelica understood that. People in my family understood that. And they didn't go to college, some of them. Right. Right. Talk well, about I actually, that. We need it. It's funny, yeah, it's funny you mentioned Mother Angelica because I say in the book, my mom is a combination of Mother Angelica, Sophia Petrillo from, of course, Golden Girls, and then Marie Barone from Everybody Loves Raymond. Only the difference is my mother, in terms of Marie Barone, would give you her meatball recipe. She wouldn't hide it from you like Marie Barone nice. did in that episode with, with, with uh, Ray's wife, Deb. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's when you really love someone you're going to tell them the truth. Now, you're not going to hit them over the head and scream and yell at them, but you are going to say, look, what you're doing is wrong. I love you, but you know what? There is a better place for you. And you're accompanying them as you exactly described it beautifully as you're going to take them to a place so they can understand who they are. And that's what was so great about the document that uh, Archbishop Copley did from Oklahoma City is he talked about, okay, we love these people. We love all people, but at the same time, we can't 
keep people in their sin because it's damaging. It's, it's really frightening what's happening right now because even someone like a Bill Maher, who's pretty much, I think, pretty anti-Catholic. I remember, I think it was last year when he said, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pirate, but I'm sure glad that my parents didn't cut off one of my arms and take out my eyes so I could wear a patch and, you know, put something on my arm and go around and, and act like a pirate. And yet, what are we doing to ourselves with this whole transgender ideology? We're mutilating healthy body parts and we're telling people that not only is this okay, but that you should be embracing it, you should be celebrating it. And anybody who dares disagree with it is is wrong, is a bigot, is uh, you know has has a phobia against uh, people, you know, uh, transgender people. And that's just one area. We're we're supposed to embrace all these things, and yet at the same time, we see the world spinning out of control. But there's no connecting the dots. Just like with the whole thing again, I keep going back to this, but the whole loneliness report that came out. The media are shocked that it's this bad. Well, where were you? when they were pushing all these shutdowns during COVID. Where were you when the Anthony Fauci's of the world were telling people, no, don't get together for Christmas dinner, don't get together for Easter dinner. And now we have the Surgeon General a year later saying, call your friend when they call you, when they call you, answer the phone, get together for someone, invite them over for dinner. It's, it's crazy, it's ridiculous. So yeah, the basics are not there anymore. And that's what we have to get back to. I keep going. That's why what my mom did and said was so crucial. It was so simple. It's not rocket science. We make it so complicated because we don't want to give in. We don't want to let go and let God. Let me ask you this, Teresa Tamio. Um, we're talking about Rosie. Everything's coming up, Rosie, your mom. Uh, let's let's keep going with that a little bit. What, what would Rosie think about stupid insipid statements like well love is love or 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 like love is never having to say you're sorry and things like that on a very basic level rosie didn't need to know or be taught even by the catechism what love is she lived right. it okay right but but there's an objective definition to what love is okay which is sacrifice we know mm -hmm. that from aquinas but we know that from jesus christ okay right. because there is no greater love than than you know than laying down your life for your friends talk about Let's say using your mom, using Rosie as example, that she didn't need to be she didn't need to be told what love is. She knew what love was, right? And how she, and I how mean, we've lost that, Teresa. Yeah, and and I think you know the self sacrifice too. And it, it's it's interesting because um, I live down the street from where I grew up now in southeastern Michigan, and there's a bus stop at the corner of my street. Well, my mom went to work when I was in grade school to help make some money um, because she wanted to send us all to Catholic school. And she went back then when she was working, and she also wanted to get out of the house in all honesty because she missed her sisters in New Jersey. But it was, you know, it was not easy. She had not um, worked before since she had gotten married. She was a stay-at-home mom and she loved it, but she wanted to make some extra money to help out so we could, you know, still have some nice things and, and put some money away for us for Catholic school and also for college. And I can remember being on the playground and seeing her at the bus stop. She took two buses to get to the mall where she worked. And I think about that. And she ended up really liking the job. She was a very outgoing person. She made a lot of friends, but she had to be on her feet all day. And she had really bad arthritis. And back in those days, they wouldn't let the women who worked in retail, I'm talking about in the 60s and 70s, they had to wear high heels. You can imagine being on your feet all day long and, and, and then having arthritis. And so there were so many different sacrifices that she made. And every time I go down the street and I see that bus stop, I think of my mother. And I'm very grateful that she did what she did. But again, there's this, there's a, there's just this idea of, well, you know what? These are my kids. I want to do this for them. I want to make sure they get the faith. I want to help. And so she really thought nothing about it. And she went ahead and she worked and she ended up working at a, at a department store for almost 
the 30 years and, and making a, a nice little bit of money, but get, you know, getting some, again, nice friendships from it. But that was hard. She much would have rather stay home and just, you know, be there when we came home from school. So again, I, I think of that, that immediately comes to mind because I see that reminder every single day and I'm grateful. And every time I pass that bus stop, I say, thanks, mom. Absolutely. Um, we probably have time for one more, uh, you know, one more topic. I'm going to hand it over to Joe. Ultimately, the family is under attack, but I believe it is it's in the family that the solution is going to be found. Um, talk about the need for Catholic families to basically embrace the teachings of the church and be a witness to others, because ultimately, I think seeing an average man and an average woman with children is the most extraordinary sight one can see. And I think there lies the answer. We want to make America great. We want to make the church uh, great again. Let's just put it. It is great. Maybe that's not well put, but it. But in terms of the light that it should be. Thriving, that's right. Thriving, yeah. That's how yeah. it happens. Talk about the need for that. I think there's the solution. Well, I, I, if you look at what Pope Francis has been talking about recently, he just did a summit with Georgia Maloney in Italy where they addressed the, the low birth rate. And he said there's no hope and Europe is, is dying of hope because they're not having children. And so he talked about the importance of, of raising children. And, and even the kicker from the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl champ, he spoke at his uh, alma mater a few weeks ago. And he talked about, you want to do something radical? You want to change the world? You know what he said? get married and have a family. And he said, that's the most important thing you can do. And I always went, and my husband and I couldn't have children, but we're spiritual parents to many. And that's one of the reasons I'm so involved in the pro-life movement, because I believe in, in, in children, the importance of family so much. But, you know, he talked about the fact that, okay, you want to make money, you want to have a job, that's fine. But success means nothing unless you have people with whom to share it. And he said, the most important ring I'm wearing, and he pointed to his wedding ring. He said, that's the statement you want to make. Get married, have a family, go out there. But see, that's that's counter to our culture, because even just, let's talk before we even have children, getting married is is a sacrifice, right? For Because you're putting, you're putting that other person first. It, you are working now to get that person to heaven. And so there's this total gift of self, this total gift of self that the Catholic Church teaches. So that in itself right there is a great statement. Getting married, getting married in the Catholic Church, taking the faith seriously. And if you look again at all the studies, even secular studies, show that the people who are happiest, we're all about sex, right? The culture is so over sex, over sexualized. And yet the happiest people in their sex lives, faithful married couples. Who knew, right? So this witness of the family is something I think one of the best things that we can ever do. Even if let's say you're a childless couple like me and Dom, you could be a spiritual mom. You can get involved and take care of your nieces and, your, and nephews and your grandnieces. Now we have our adorable grandnieces with whom we're so close. But promoting the family and supporting families and supporting women and men who find themselves in let's say a crisis pregnancy situation, supporting pregnancy resource centers, supporting family, supporting life. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm here in Arizona now. Um, I, we moved about a year and a half ago, a little over a year ago. And uh, one thing I notice, um, and I know it's other places too, but one thing I notice, my wife and I have done a lot of parish hopping because we're not sure which parish we're going to say. So we've been to one, all these wonderful parishes here, right? We went to Latin Mass, uh, Novus Ordo Mass, just beautiful churches. And there's just huge families all over the place. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, what, why do I get sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm Italian. Sometimes we get down. I get a little, you know, I get a little despairing if, you know, I say, what's the, the hell's going on in the world? That's what we're talking about. But then when we go to mass, 
I see that. You know, I see, and I'm not exaggerating, eight kids, seven kids. I'm like, hey, right. man, this is what it's all about. Right. That's, what Ro- that's what Rosie would have said, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Teresa Tamio, we have to leave it there. Uh, the book is Everything is Coming Here, Up, Rosie. Here, let me show Rosie. a picture. Here it is. There's Rosie Cozy. Can you see her yeah, pretty There's face? Rosie. Um, and you've, now it's available at Sophia. But Teresa, just real quick in a minute, tell our audience what you have going on, your social media, what else you might be working on, uh, all that fun stuff. Oh, my goodness. Well, uh, I think one of the biggest things I'm doing is really trying to promote this book a lot. And I so appreciate you guys having me on because, again, I think it's got such basic information. It's a lot of fun. I think you'll laugh. You'll cry. It's a great book study with a with a women's group or even a couple's group could have fun with this. Anybody who's a parent would appreciate this book. So I'm really trying to promote the book. I'm doing a lot of writing. And um, I'm also working very hard on pilgrimage. We've got two pilgrimages coming up this year uh, to Italy, one with my husband, Deacon Dom, another one for women in October. Pilgrimage is very near and dear to my heart because I think if we're going to embrace the faith, we have to walk in the footsteps of the great saints of our Lord, for example, if you can get to the Holy Land. But you know, coming to Italy is such a beautiful experience. And so it's very, very near and dear to my heart to continue my work as a travel coach through Tease Italy to help people have the best pilgrimage ever in Italy but also to lead group tours. So again, travelitalyexpert.com, lots going on there, and teresatomio.com. Teresa Tomio, as always, our sister, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a lively conversation. It is, yeah, three Italians. What are you gonna do, right? Ciao. Ciao, ciao. And thank you all out there for joining us on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. If you're watching this um, on social media, YouTube, Facebook, particularly YouTube, like, subscribe, share, do all that fun stuff, and go out, buy the book. Everything's coming up, Rosie. Um, And try to support our Catholic publisher, Sophia Press, in this case, is the publisher. And once again, remember that until the next time, our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon.